The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. Master Hakuin's chant and praise of Zazen. From the very beginning all beings are Buddha. Like water and ice, without water no ice, outside is no Buddhas. How near the truth, yet how far we seek. Like one in water, crying, I thirst. Like a child of rich birth, wandering poor on this earth, we endlessly circle the six worlds. The cause of our sorrow is ego delusion. From dark path to dark path we wandered in darkness. How can we be free from birth and death? The gateway to freedom is Zazen Samadhi. Beyond exaltation, beyond all our praises, the pure Mahayana. Upholding the precepts, repentance and giving, the countless good deeds and the way of right living all come from Zazen. Thus one true Samadhi extinguishes evils. It purifies karma, dissolving obstructions. Then where are the dark paths to lead us astray? The pure lotus land is not far away. Hearing this truth, heart humble and grateful, to praise and embrace it, to practice its wisdom, brings unending blessings, brings mountains of merit. And when we turn inward and prove our true nature, that true self is no self, our own self is no self, we go beyond ego and past clever words. Then the gate to the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open. Not two and not three straight heads runs the way. Our form now being no form, and going and returning we never leave home. Our thought now being no thought, our dancing and songs of the voice of the Dharma. How vast is the heaven of boundless samadhi. How bright and transparent the moonlight of wisdom. What is there outside us? What is it we lack? Nirvana is openly shown to our eyes. This earth where we stand is the pure lotus land, and this very body, the body of Buddha.
today is the third day of our five-day winter spring online session. It's the 24th of August 2020 and we're going to continue um, reading from Shattering the Great Doubt, the Chan Practice of Hua Do. Um, and this is by Chan Master Shen Yin. going to be continuing with where we left off um, and this is Master Sheng Yin commenting on a short text by um, the great champion of, of the Hua Do method, um, Da Hui. So we're starting with um, more of Da Hui's lines. Have you not heard the words of all the ancient worthy ones that all the Dharma spoken by the Buddha is for the purpose of delivering all kinds of minds? If there's no mind, of what use is all the Dharma? I think here of that um, image that appears in the Pali Suttas um, where the Buddha likens the Dharma to a raft for crossing over to the other shore, to the shore of awakening. Once you've crossed over, you don't keep going carrying the raft on your back. You, you leave the raft behind. Not attaching even to the Dharma. Xing Yin continues... Da Hui is saying that all the devices for teaching Dharma are really antidotes for the delusions of sentient beings. How do you use Dharma to cut off delusions? I have already said that the so-called severing of delusions is merely an expedient teaching because there is no need to sever deluded thinking. As long as wandering thoughts do not hold you captive, as long as you are not moved by them, you will have already transformed them into prajna, the essence of wisdom. If the workings of the mind leave no imprint on you, you can freely use them in service of wisdom. If you are not affected by wandering thoughts, they can work for you. And this is how to sever delusion. This, this um, teaching can really help us come into the right kind of relationship with our wandering thoughts where we don't um, become alarmed when we get caught up in them but just when we notice we have got caught up we just cleanly, without any commentary, without any judgment shift our awareness back to the breath or the koan or just this moment of us, of us sitting here, we're doing shikantaza. But we should be, be careful here. And perhaps this is especially so if, if we're doing shikantaza, since in, in shikantaza we allow the thoughts to, to come in, have their time, and then to pass away. 
And so it's not as maybe as clear cut as it is with other practices in terms of how we relate to our our wandering thoughts. So take care that you're not being used by your wandering thoughts, especially pleasant ones. Uh, these are the most seductive, and we can get to a place where we have um, some degree of clarity, and it can be a very pleasant uh, place to be. But um, at that point, if that occurs, then to to also cultivate greater silence, um, so that so that we're able to to discern the more subtle layers of thought that may be there. Often there, there's subtle layers of self-referential thought. And then, of course, if we are caught on those, then we're no longer using wandering thoughts but being used by them. Again, he's making the point that um, there, we don't have to be concerned or worried about the existence of wandering thoughts in the mind, but but um, be diligent about noticing them uh, as soon as we can. A little bit more here from um, uh, Martine Batchelor on this on this um, issue of, of how uh, we concentrate. We would, she was talking yesterday in Tojo about um, using using this term anchor rather than concentrate in order to avoid the, the misunderstanding that our concentration. Concentration has to be some kind of very uh, tight, narrow uh, focus. She says, it is very important to see when we anchor, when we focus, that we don't hold on to the breath for dear life, nor do we hold on to the question tensely. Instead, we use them as an anchor in our experience. We come back to them again and again, and cultivate choice. Do I continue with this, or do I return to the questioning? Or if we're doing shikantaza, do I um, get caught up in this uh, train of thought, or do I uh, step back from it and, and experience it in the context of all the sensations of sitting here. But she says that's the choice we have. We can continue to it with a certain thought or come back to our whole experience via the anchor. And this is where we do have choice. We, we do have choice about where we put our attention. We don't have the choice about what feelings come into our breasts, we don't have uh, a lot of choice about what thoughts come into the mind, but we can 
choose how we react, what we do with our attention. When we come back to the question or to the breath, four things are going to happen. Firstly, we're going to feed the repetition. And um, when she says um, with the repetition, she means repetitive trains of thought. Um, so firstly, we're not going to feed the repetition. Secondly, we weaken the power of the repetition. Thirdly, we bring our attention back to the whole moment. And finally, we bring ourselves back to our creative functioning. This can help us become calmer, more stable and spacious. Back to Master Xing Yin. And this um, next passage, he uh, heads up, use all circumstances as points of entry. Use all circumstances as points of entry. And he quotes another part from um, Dark Wei's discourse. Dark Wei says, Most of the literati who study this path seek after quick results. Before the master even opens his mouth to speak, these people will have already formulated a conceptual understanding in their minds, thoughts and perceptions. When, when obstructions creep up on them, they lose all control. They become busy with their hands and feet without having anything to hold on to. They don't know that it is actually their conceptual understanding that will take them to King Yama to receive the blows of the iron rod and swallow the blazing iron ball. The person who seeks after quick results is none other than you. And so it is said that those who wish to acquire it will lose it. Those who try to be meticulous will end up being more negligent. The Tathagata considers such people pitiable. Just a few comments before we go on to Master Sheng Yin's response to this passage. Um, what um, really jumps out at me here um, in what uh, Da Hui is saying is where he says, the person who seeks after quick results is none other than you. It, it seems like um, some things don't change. This was, this was penned in the 12th century in China, but it, my guess is, if, if anything, that we're even more conditioned to seek uh, instant gratification now than than we were then. We we now have access to an infinite amount of entertainment by the internet, and even if we we seek out. Uh, 
could say, edification. Um, we have lofty aspirations in terms of what we seek out. Um, for instance, if we if we tap into now the infinite number of spiritual teachings there are on the web, and we're this absolute cornucopia of stuff that just keeps growing. Quotes, talks, webinars, articles, e-books, literally all at our fingertips. And in one sense, this is this is really wonderful that now people wherever they are, can access all kinds of teachings. But how many take the next step, which involves, at a certain point, putting it all down, including the words I'm speaking right now? All of it has to be put down if we want to um, discover for ourselves the nature of birth and death. He also says, and so it is said that those who wish to acquire it will lose it. Those who try to be meticulous will end up being more negligent. Those who wish to acquire it will lose it. This, this comes up again and again in the, in the teachings, and we've we've touched on it many many times. Why why is it that those who wish to acquire it will lose it? It's it's this this mistaken notion of of self. This mirage that we put invest so much in that grasps for something to acquire, and so that that reaching that grasping reinforces the sense of self, the sense of a um, a someone somewhere who needs to acquire something. I think of a of an analogy that that Rumi gives somewhere in his vast. Uh, collection of poems um, he talks about a lover um, knocking at the door of his beloved knocking, banging pleading for the door to be opened please open the door open the door This, this is the door to our true nature. This is the beloved is is the, uh, a wonderful way in, of of um, referring to this, which is is beautifully explored within the Sufi tradition and within Rumi's poems. So you have this lover pushing the door again and again, rattling the handle, and getting nowhere. And why? Because all along, the door is unlocked. Only it opens towards us. We just need to get out of its way.
Dahwe says, those who try to be meticulous will end up being more negligent. One possible way of understanding this, and it, and it relates to the previous one. If, if, as long as our strategies are coming from an acquisitive place, you could say as long as we're strategizing, then, then again we're reinforcing that sense of um, subject and object. And one such strategy could be being meticulous in our practice as a means to an end. In whatever way that we conceptualize that end, whether it's as acquiring wisdom or finding peace or finally having control over our lives. As long as we're coming out of that acquisitive place, then then the self-other split is, is reinforced. And we, we won't get what we long for. And so sooner or later, we'll... we'll be discouraged and possibly fall into negligence. What we need to do is, is, is to move into practicing without any kind of agenda. Jeff Shaw, who we were reading from yesterday, uh, has something to say about this. He says, don't sit there waiting for something to happen. Such practice is criticized as, quote, awaiting enlightenment. If you're waiting for something, you're not giving yourself fully to practice, are you? You're actually abiding in a state of ignorance. And he gives another Zen saying, binding yourselves without a rope. Give yourself in all sincerity. Then you can't help but realize this doubt. Don't waste time thinking, maybe I don't have that kind of doubt. I need more doubt. I need his doubt. Many of us have gone down that very, very painful road. Simply remain open to what's in your heart, what's under your own feet. Don't avoid it. Instead, embrace it. That's all you need. Simply remain open to what's in your own heart, under your own feet. Don't avoid it. Instead, embrace it. That's all you need. Okay, so now just um, Master Shen Yin's comments on this this passage about the literati who study the past and seek after quick results. 
This passage points out the tendency among some intellectuals to be eager for results, looking for shortcuts to enlightenment. These intellectuals are quick with witty turns of phrase and interpret and analyse what they hear or read, looking for hidden meanings. They forget that Buddha Dharma is meant to be is meant to respond to the needs of sentient beings by prescribing an antidote. Instead, many prefer to analyze the medicine instead of just taking it. I have met intellectuals who like to discuss Buddhism, but when I suggest a retreat would help their practice, they often say something like, Shifu, I've read your books, and coming on retreat would just be hearing those words all over again. To such people, Chan seems to be mostly about ideas, but the whole point of Chan is to free oneself from concepts. The whole point of Chan, the whole point of Zen, is to free oneself from concepts. So this is one of the ways that we can examine ourselves as we are sitting. How much of our time are we spending dwelling in our thoughts and concepts and how much time are we actually practicing he continues without engaging in actual practice it is very difficult to get in touch with the essence of life that is something that mere words cannot do to resolve the question of birth and death, one has to directly perceive their essential nature. The understanding gained from words is useful up to a point, but real-life issues can only be resolved by practice. For, for us in the West, where we have maybe less um, knowledge of the teachings, it is important to um, to explore the Dharma in a, on a conceptual level, and so that we understand what is what is behind um, our tradition, our teaching, and our practice. But um, not just to stop there at the at the conceptual understanding. And when he says real-life issues can only be resolved by practice, he's not talking about just sitting on the mat, but bringing practice to all aspects of our lives. The precepts, the parameters. So taking these things that we can study, that's great, and then bringing them into our daily, our daily lives, all the, all the struggles we have. All the words of the Chan Masters point to the one reality of practice. To engage the Hua Do is to bring forth Mu in daily life, to detach from self-attachment, speculation and analysis. This is quite different from gaining conceptual understanding of the Dharma. And here we can, we can pull this, this little instruction out to detach from self-attachment, speculation 
and analysis. Self-attachment covers a lot of ground. Um, we could call it also, as they do in the Tibetan tradition, self-partiality or self-preoccupation, where we take whatever um, happens to us and we turn it into a statement about ourselves. A conceit. A conceit. In many, many forms of conceit. There's said to be three um, in, in Buddhism. They talk about uh, um, conceit of, of uh, feeling superior, the conceit of feeling inferior, and also the conceit of, of considering oneself to be as good as somebody else. This is an interesting one. give an example of this as, as good as conceit would be the slogan that came out in, in uh, um, response to the Black Lives Matter movement um, and, and it surfaced here in New Zealand um, in, in a school when there were kids were advertising the upcoming march to, in support of Black Lives Matter which was White Lives Matter and that's an example of the conceit of equality where, yeah, sure, we all lives matter, white lives matter, but that ignores the specific issues around um, black people's experience of the police, police brutality and police impunity. So it's a kind of false equality or an equality that, that, that denies also the different experiences different groups have. Uh, the conceits of superiority, superiority and inferiority here are, are fairly obvious, but perhaps some people would be surprised to find inferiority here. But a lot of us cling to a sense of inferiority. It's, and you wonder why that is. But perhaps part of it is that it kind of lets us off the hook. If we if we say I'm not up to this, then we don't need to rise to the occasion. We can just we can just check out early. Superiority also is problematic because we we then close ourselves off to to um, where we need to develop our shortcomings. These these are just some examples of of um, self preoccupation, interpreting our experience all in the light of this small self could include here pride also perhaps in our achievements shame the fear we have of, of not being accepted or being rejected can be very powerful so to let go of all self-attachment 
and also speculation and analysis. Da Hui mentions it, Xing Yan mentions here. Speculation, all the ways in which we can proliferate on a particular topic, planning, fantasizing about the future, imagining triumphs that are going to happen, or the opposite, becoming anxious about what, what disasters might happen. Analysis. There are certain of us who are particularly prone to this last one, people who have a, uh, an incisive mind and who enjoy the, the process of exercising that incisive mind. It can be quite a, a seductive route to go down. To engage with the Huado is to bring forth Mu in daily life, to detach from self-attachment, speculation and analysis. This is quite different from gaining conceptual understanding of Dharma. A Chan master will not necessarily explain things clearly, but all of his or her words point to using a Chan method. For Da Hui, the method is, is to use Mu, to break down barriers to perceiving one's essential nature. There's no denying that reading books on Chan can be useful. It may help one to live a relatively happy and peaceful life. But to actually gain a genuine entry into the practice just through reading is rare. Uh, there are cases uh, of, of uh, practitioners um, coming to awakening on hearing um, words being recited of a sutra or reading a text but as uh, Master Sheng Yin says these, these cases are rare and they're usually preceded by uh, intense practice. Mere conceptual understanding will not penetrate to the core of your being you need to engage a method of practice that will allow you to shatter the barrier and perceive directly the wellspring of your being. Otherwise, if you rely on analysis and reasoning, when you confront King Yama, the demon of death, your mind will be in chaos. This is what's meant when he talks about um, uh, King Yama to... Um, The conceptual understanding will, will take them to King Yama to receive the blows of the iron rod and the swallow the blazing iron ball. These are images from um, depictions of, of hell in the, in the sutras. But we can take it metaphorically as being um, uh, not ready for death, not ready to, to meet it uh, calmly. Or as, as uh, Shen Yin put it, your mind will be in chaos. And we can take this not only um, uh, in terms of our meeting a literal death, but 
uh, other kinds of experiences that involve the death of the ego. Um, criticism can be one that that, that elicits a very <coughs> strong response, response in us, or unjust treatment. Um, major loss Mr. Shingen continues once an intellectual complimented me on having written many books and given many lectures he said I was able to do this because I was very intelligent, adding that I had chosen the right path for myself because I had a quick wit. Unlike others, he said, who, no matter how many books they read or koans they study, are still baffled. In other words, this gentleman reduced me to a quick-witted smarty. He was also implying that only smart people are able to study Chan and get something out of it. As I saw it, by making these observations, this person revealed himself to be one of the literati. I told him, I am not the person that you think I am. In fact, I consider myself slow. It is not as if the koans just flow from my mind. There are many I still do not understand. For these reasons, I very earnestly need to practice. This is, this is um, an important point that we, we practice um, because we need to. We practice because we still need to, to um, delve into the mind. continues, with witty people, if you raise one issue, they will multiply it by a hundredfold. Dahuay was particularly critical of elites who thought they understood Bodhidharma after one reading, deceiving themselves as to their fundamental true nature, their original face. They mistook the Chan rhetoric for too true Chan. They took these flashes of light and sounds as Chan itself. In fact, these altered states outside the door of Chan, the experience of light and ease, or some sort of insight. Sorry, let me read that sentence again. They took these flashes of light and sounds as Chan itself. In fact, these are altered states outside the door of Chan, the experience of light and ease, or some sort of insight. These situations are typically very accessible to people with keen wit. They can read some Dharma, and immediately gain some insight, thinking they have grasped the knob to the door of Chan. Actually, they're still running in circles outside the door, involving themselves with these so-called experiences. The only way for them to actually penetrate the Chan door will be to take up Mu. So Da Hui often told these men that it was precisely because of their overbearing knowledge 
that they should practice Mu. <laughs> yes, it was precisely because of their overbearing knowledge that they should practice Mu. Again, you can see in this the the, um, that the way we can be deluded in thinking we've, we've gone through the door and actually we're running around outside. Um, that, that right there in that assumption is is um, this idea about um, having having gained something. turn back um, here to um, Martine Batchelor when she, she's talking about questioning. If we're using the question when we're sitting, we just ask inwardly, silently, what is this? Um, and, and people working on MOOC can just substitute that here when she, she talks about what is this? What is Mu? But we need to note that this practice is about questioning, is not a practice of answering. Within the Son tradition, we're trying to cultivate a sensation of questioning in the whole body and mind. The anchor is the question, and we come back to the question again and again. You'll notice that if you come back to the question, you come back to the whole experience of the moment. The way she puts it here helps us to understand that there's not such a huge difference between um, this, this um, practice of what is this and with Shikantaza where we come back again and again to the whole experience of the moment. The difference is, is really in, in a sense in the feeling tone of giving rise to this intense uh, doubt sensation, this feeling of questioning, versus in Shikantaza, just a sense of open wonder. But what are we, we wondering, wondering about? The, the mystery of the experience of this moment. How is it that there is something rather than nothing? What is experiencing? When we're in Kenya, walking, walking around, and we're not looking at anything in particular, but everything is appearing. Everything in our field of, of vision is appearing to us. How is that possible? What is doing that? She continues, the other aspect of the practice is experiential inquiry, which means we're not repeating the question like a mantra. We're not sitting there silently chanting, what is this, what is this, what is this? The most important part of the question is the question mark itself. You might say, but what is this? 
you might think that this question is a little vague and wonder what precisely you're asking about. You're not asking about anything in particular when you ask, what is this? You're throwing yourself, sorry, sorry you're, you're throwing yourself, the question, into the moment. When you ask, what is this? You're throwing the question into the moment, which gives you direct access to being in the moment. We ask, what is this? Not as a way to define the experience of the moment, nor to fix it, but just as a way to open to it. So it's important to see that the aim is to open to the moment without defining anything. Or if we go back to Rumi's image, to step back from the door so that it can open. Back to our text, our main text. He says, uh, Last night, Vin Guo Jun told me that one of you had reached the unified state. As you may recall, I identified three states in Hua Do practice the concentrated state, the unified state, and the state of no mind. In the concentrated state, your wandering thoughts and your huado are intermingled. Discursive thinking rises and falls, but the huado is still there for you to pick up. It still functions actively. In that sense, in the concentrated state, both wandering thoughts and the huado are simultaneously present. And this, we could say that this corresponds to what Martine Batchelor was talking about when she was talking about anchoring. That we, we, it's not that there isn't some movement of the boat at the end of the line that anchors it to the seafloor, but it doesn't move away too far from where it is. In the unified state, body-mind environment and all the burdens that come with them have ceased and only the huato remains. The method is still there, but you don't feel burdened anymore. Please note that this state has its own variations in depth and range of experience, but the unified state is not enough if the doubt sensations are not present. Therefore, you must still give rise to doubt. When the doubt sensation arises, you must then push on with great urgency so that the doubt sensation becomes a great mass of doubt. Only when this great mass of doubt is shattered will you reach no mind, the third state. And just a point about this is that we can't manufacture this unified state where body, mind, environment all coalesce or, or, or unify. Um, we can't sit down and say, okay, now I'm going to go into a unified state. Rather, rather we just um, practice concentration, this, this concentrated state, as, as sincerely and wholeheartedly as um, we can, can muster, and then 
um, this unified state can emerge um, out of out of that concentration. Uh, of course, there are adepts who could just enter into the state, but it's it's um, at an advanced level of of uh, cultivation. Continues. Today, I encouraged Venerable Guo Jun to push you folks harder. Perhaps one of you, on hearing him roar, "What is Mu?" may respond by suddenly shattering your great ball of doubt. Depending on whether this shattering is small or great, you may or may not experience wisdom. But even a glimpse of wisdom can be considered a kind of enlightenment. Whatever your state, if your practice is grounded in Mu. You will always find your way back to Mu, grounded in Mu. You can gain entry wherever you may be. All states are opportunities to practice. Do not think that the only benefit of practice is to gain awakening. When you can use all circumstances as points of entry into practice, you will have wealth that you can use in daily life. However, please be aware of a kind of false enlightenment where you suddenly feel you have been released and there is nothing more you need to do. It is precisely at that point that you should pick up the method. So please put all your effort into the practice. Um, elsewhere he talks about, about in a sashin where the, where the monitors will um, uh, suddenly boom in the zendo, what is mu? Or um, sometimes, uh, similarly here, when we when we can be all in the same zendo, I'll walk around. I'll walk around and 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 ask that question. And um, he he says he says um, he reminds people not not to take it personally, and not to have to. Um, there may be in people a feeling of of having to respond or wanting to respond, but the point of the question is to is to intensify the feeling of 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 doubt, the, the great the, the the ball of doubt. It's to it's to it's to intensify that 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 sense of of wanting to resolve one's questions. He reminds us at the end here about um, not falling into into a, a, a false state of thinking one has um, arrived. Because inevitably, if there is that feeling, then we we um, can fall into a kind of dead sitting. So to bring so to bring our practice, whatever practice we're doing, to um, states of of uh, concentration.
says it is precisely at that point that you need to pick up the method. So please put all your effort into the practice. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. All beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions, I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to attain all beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions, I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to attain. We'll have Kenny now.
the teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.